good morning, good morning, and good morning. <laughs> uh, the only bad thing about Sunday is next day's Monday. <laughs> All right, well, uh, we're still doing um, Operation Christmas Child, I think, right, through Samaritan's Purse. Uh, if you haven't yet, we encourage you to grab one of the boxes that's out in the foyer. It's got instructions inside the box, and what we're doing is we're buying some very simple, simple gifts and simple things to send to kids overseas along with the gospel message of Jesus Christ. And uh, it's an absolute blessing. If you go to the, there's, it has the website written down. You can go to there. You can watch videos and to see these little kids' faces. You know what I mean? Um, you know, it, it's one thing Christmas morning when you're with your own children, you know, and they're little, they're little ungrateful faces. No, I'm just kidding. They're, they're little faces as they open their presents, and it's, it brings such joy to your heart. You know what I mean? It's such a, a joyful thing. And, and when you watch these kids in other parts of the world who are in such great need and have so very little, and the simple things that they receive and the, and the gratefulness that they have and the happiness and the joy, I mean, it's like, wow, overwhelming. But more important than that, and so much better and greater than that, is that they're receiving the gospel of Jesus Christ. And if you believe about the Word of God, what I believe about the Word of God is that it is living and it is active and that it's sharper than any two-edged sword and it's able to penetrate uh, our hearts and discern the thoughts and intentions of the heart, you know that when you hear that gospel message, it's not just hearing of words, right? When the Word of God is preached like that, something happens. And people have a choice that they're given to make, either to accept the Word of God or to reject the Word of God. And that's for them, that's for them to decide. But God is calling, and when He speaks through His Word, there's, there's impact there. There's impact. Nothing, His Word never returns void, right? Uh, so any opportunity that we have, especially on such a wide scale, you think about the wide scale that we have an opportunity to, to, to give the gospel to children around the world, it's a beautiful opportunity. So I encourage you in that. Uh, we are in Deuteronomy, <clears throat> Deuteronomy chapter 4, and we are picking up in verse 25 is where we left off last week, Deuteronomy chapter 4, and starting in verse uh, 25. God, of course, is always going back through and giving the children of Israel two things. First of all, his resume, Right? Uh, and it's like, God doesn't need to give his resume, but he continually is. He's continually reminding them of who he is and what he's done. Uh, and then he gives, draws out, he lays out his expectations of them, that they're to worship him, that they're to worship no other gods, that they're not to set up for themselves graven images, they're not to set up for themselves idols, and he's, he's careful to instruct them. And again, now he's talking to that second generation that is now going to actually enter into the promised land after that first generation of unbelievers, the people who saw the, saw the word uh, delivered on Mount Sinai, that heard the voice of God, that saw the mountain shake, that saw the Red Sea parted, that saw the bread come down from heaven, that saw the water come from the rock, that saw God bring in quail, that saw, saw God do so to open the earth to, to swallow up Korah and the rebellious followers of Korah and all of the mighty deeds of God. And yet, and yet, when they came to that one place and that one point where God says, I want you to go in and I want you to inhabit this land, I want you to, to take hold of the promises that I've given you, and they would not because of fear, because of unbelief. And that's the same old story, ain't it? It's the same old story, fear and unbelief, fear and unbelief, or unwillingness, fear, unbelief, and unwillingness. It's the same thing that keeps us today from grabbing hold of the promises that God has given us through His mighty word. So 
We're talking always about the nature of God. And God is establishing that as he speaks to his children, as he gives them the law. And throughout the scriptures, the nature of God is proclaimed. It it, it always comes back to that. Remember, uh, Jesus Christ says, what every knee will bow, right? Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. What? To the glory of the Father. And the Bible talks about ultimately when all things are made subjugated to Jesus Christ and are brought under his feet, then it says then even the Son will be made subject to the Father so that God may be all in all. There's always this divine order that's laid out that we don't fully understand. Understand, understand that we don't understand, right? We never will fully understand while we're in the flesh. This is again where our faith comes into play, where we're asked to read these things and say, I believe these things. You know, a silly analogies that people have tried to give to explain the Trinity. You know what I'm saying? Well, it's like I'm a father, I'm a husband, and I'm also a sprinkler fitter. And it's nothing like what the Trinity is, not even a little bit. It's not even in the same universe as what the Trinity is. We can't understand it. We can't know it. We are finite, and He is infinite, right? Our knowledge is small, and He is all-knowing. Our power is little, and He is all-powerful. And so there always has to be this, this, this final authority and this final belief and this final faith that we have that God is who He said He is, that God is who He has always claimed to be. He is, in fact, God. He is the King of the universe. And we owe him our allegiance, right? And that's the beginning of wisdom. Like the scripture says, what? The fear of God is what? The beginning of wisdom. The Bible also says that those that come to him must believe, first of all, that he is, and secondly, that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. So there has to be this belief in who God is, and there has to be this understanding of the nature of God okay? When it comes to the nature of God, he is very jealous for his name and of who he is. He says in a word, I will not share my glory with another. Know that and understand that. In our lives, even today, under the grace and mercy of Jesus Christ, that he will not share his glory with another. And if there's anything in my life, if there's anything in my heart that I have set up preeminent to him, he's not going to share his glory. And I'm not going to have the full presence and blessing of God in my life if there's something in in my heart that supersedes him. And he knows. God is very careful to establish the fact that he never owes us, but rather we owe him. And this is why justification by faith is such an important doctrine. And this is important for all of us to understand, who are students of the Word of God. The doctrine of justification by faith is essential. It is not something that can be compromised in any way, shape, or form. It is essential. Why? Because it speaks to the very nature of who God is. And because it's joined with His very nature, it is, of, it is so important, it is so essential that we understand and that we in our testimony help other people understand that justification by faith is the only true gospel, is the only true gospel. Romans 3.28, therefore we conclude that a man is justified by faith apart from the deeds of the law. Galatians 3.24, therefore the law was our tutor to bring us to Christ that we might be justified by faith. Galatians 2.16, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ, even we have believed in Jesus, uh, even we have believed in Christ Jesus, that we might be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law. For by the works of the law, no flesh shall be justified. Galatians 3.11. 
but that no one is justified by the law in the sight of God is evident, for the just shall live by faith. Titus 3, 7, there, uh, that having been justified by his grace, we should become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Acts 13, 39, and by him everyone who believes is justified from all things from which you could not be justified by the law of Moses. Uh, <clears throat> for what does the scripture say? This is Romans chapter 4, verses 3 to 5. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. So remember, Paul is establishing the fact that Abraham was justified apart from the works of the law. And circumcision was given to Abraham as, as a sign, right? As a sign of the covenant between him and God. But Abraham's justification was by faith. The Bible says that Abraham believed God and therefore God accredited to him or credited to his account righteousness because Abraham believed in God. And after that, he gave him the covenant of circumcision as a symbol for all generations of what God had accomplished by Abraham's faith, okay? By Abraham's belief, but he was not justified by the law. God, is, God lays that out in a very important and, and, and direct way. Now, it continues in Romans 4, 3 to 5. Now, to him who works, the wages are not counted as grace, but as debt. But to him who does not work, but believes on him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is accounted for righteousness. In other words, if we were saved by good works, then it would be what we were owed rather than a gift from God. You understand? And that speaks against the very nature of who God is. He owes us nothing. We owe him everything, everything. And that is the simple reason why works can never, ever, ever, ever get someone into heaven. And he talks to people all the time, well, he was a good person, she was a good person, they did the right things. Well, I think God has to take into consideration the fact God isn't to do nothing, right? God is who God is, and what God says is God's word, and that's it, and that's final. And God has said over and over again that we are justified by faith. By faith, there has to be a faith that is expressed, and there has to be a confession of that faith. Whoever confesses with their mouth Jesus is Lord and believes in their heart that God raised him from the dead, they will be saved. God, I am a sinner. This is the brokenness that we talk about. Jesus said, all who fall on this rock will be broken into pieces. Whoever this rock falls upon, however, will be ground into powder, speaking of judgment. But all who come to Christ must stumble. Over what? I'm a sinner. And all of the good deeds that I've done, all the times that I've helped old ladies cross the street, or helped them with their groceries, or helped myself to their groceries, or whatever the case may be, right? And all the thing, times that I've shaken hands and kissed babies and all the messages that I've preached and everything that I've done that somebody might consider good, that somebody might say that's good, has absolutely zero zip Nathan nada to do with whether or not I'm going to heaven. In fact, I could preach the word of God. I could preach it every single day. I could preach it to multitudes and multitudes could be saved. And if there was never that work of salvation that took place in my heart by faith through grace alone, and I thought that I was getting into heaven because I preached the word and tell people about Jesus, I would be wrong. 
And we have those scary verses where it talks about people coming and saying, didn't we do all of these great works in your name? And Jesus says what? I never knew you. I never knew you. We cast out demons. (laughs) We healed people. We did miracles. We spoke in your name. But Jesus says, but I don't know you. There's only one way to God the Father, and that is through the man Jesus Christ. He said, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life, and no one goes to the Father except through me. Except through me. Your ticket to heaven, your ticket to be able to pray, your ticket to be able to worship, your ticket to be able to understand and discern the word of God, all comes through the finished work of Jesus Christ. Make no mistake about it. Even the Holy Spirit that came at Pentecost came through the finished work of Jesus Christ when he said, I will not leave you as orphans, but I'm going to send another comforter. Meanwhile, guess where I'm going to be, cats? I'm going to be up in glory preparing a place, right? And there's this hope that's built up within us and this joy that comes from knowing that we've been sealed and we've been set apart and we've been put in a, in a special place where we wait for the glorious appearing of our Lord and Savior, knowing that when he comes, he's going to take us to be with him and the Father forever. Whether it comes through death or whether it comes through the rapture of the church or whatever the case may be, that's my final destination. All of it, every single bit of it is 1,000 billion trillion zillion. Is that a big enough number? By faith. Never, ever, ever of works, lest anyone should boast. Uh, Romans eleven thirty four 34 to 36 says this, For who has known the mind of the Lord, or who has become his counselor, or who has first given to him, and it shall be repaid to him? For of him and through him and to him are all things, to whom be glory forever. Amen. Romans 13, 8, you guys know this one. It says, owe no one anything except to love one another. For he who loves another has fulfilled the law. Now remember, these are the great commandments that were given. These are the great commandments that Jesus Christ established in his teachings. That the first commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And the second commandment is like it, and that is to love your neighbor as yourself. And if you do these two things, guess what? You just fulfilled the law. Congratulations. But pastor, I ate six pounds of bacon yesterday. I ate the hoof. I ate it all, baby. I, you don't understand. I did this. I did that. Wait a second. You're not justified by works. You're not justified by what you eat. You're not, thank God, you're not justified by how much you eat. You're not justified by the good deeds that you do. You're not justified. You're not unjustified by the bad things that you do. And by the mistakes that you make. And that the stupid things that you do. You see, you understand, you didn't earn it. It can't be taken from you. It's a gift. It can't be taken from you. Right? And so here's this faith that we have, and this beautiful faith that we have through Jesus Christ that can never be taken away. And here's what God says. Love me. Love me. And if you love me, understand, you don't, you don't prove your love to God by loving other people. Again, it's easy to get back. It's always easy for us, isn't it, to somehow slip back into works. I got to love people. Let me talk to this dude. I hate this guy. How you doing today, Bill? How's everything? I hope all is good, you know. Hope you don't get in a car crash on the way home, you know. I see God, I loved him. Huh? You did what now? 
You see, loving people is a natural result that flows from the loving relationship you have with the Father. It's a natural thing. You'll know a tree by the fruit that it bears. An apple tree can't bear oranges. It'd be sweet if it did, but it can't, right? You know a tree by the fruit that it bears. If I'm plugged into the, to the roots, if I'm plugged into the roots, if I'm plugged into the faith, if my heart is plugged into the Lord, my God, and I'm serving him and truly loving him, then it's going to be made evident. It's going to be manifested. You're going to be able to see it by how I treat people, by how I love people, and then by the good things that I do. And now when God rewards me, it's not because he owes me, it's because he is a rewarder of the, those that diligently seek him and those who are found doing what he's called them to do. He does reward us, but we're never, ever, ever, ever owed it. When it says don't owe anyone anything except to love one another, that debt is also to God. In other words, I don't owe you a debt to love you because I owe you, because all you've done for me. And you've prayed for me and you've done plenty for me, okay? Thank you. Love you guys. But I don't owe you, you know, when I was a young punk kid, you know what I mean? And I was like cool and all this stuff. And, 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 and you know, every once in a while when you're dating a girl, she would suggest that you owed her something, right? And I would always say, I don't owe nobody nothing except for my mama. I would say all the time. And my mother would be like, amen. Praise the Lord. Drive the hussy from the house. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> All right. We owe God. I owe God, though. So it's not that I have a debt to you in the sense that I owe you for something you've done. Again, no works here. There's no, there's no you've done and therefore you get. The debt that I owe is to God the Father. That's the owing that he's talking about there. He, in fact, he begins by saying, don't owe men anything. Don't be indebted to anyone I mean, you know, here we sit, <laughs> brokenhearted with capital one debts and mortgages and stuff like that. Is it God's perfect will that we would have no debt? I think so. I think it's pretty evident from the scriptures. You know, there's a lot of things that are evident from the scriptures. Remember, God's word always lays out perfection, but we all got mortgages and we probably got some credit card payments and stuff like that too. Understand, understand, you're not being judged because of that. Okay, don't ever let that happen to you. If you're walking in complete uh, uh, opposition to what the word of God says and God's word has commanded something, you're saying, no, I won't do it, yet now feel bad. Now you should feel bad. But for, for, for living and walking in this world, like, for example, this, I'm kind of getting off and I'm gonna get right back on here, but I just, just kind of boycotting things, right? And I'm not gonna support this and I'm not gonna support that. And please feel free to do so. You know, there's certain things that I don't wanna be a part of as well. But if you really... If you really wanted to divorce yourself from all the wickedness of this world, get your straw hats, kids. We're raising pigs and horses, right? We're going to be Amish. <laughs> We're going to be Amish now. You want to really divorce yourself from all the way? You can't. And so the scripture teaches us, he says, I'm not telling you, remember in Corinthians, and Paul says, I want you to take this person who's calling himself a brother in the church, a part of the church, a part of the fellowship who's living in gross sin, and I want you to put him out of the church. The idea was is that he's living in unrepentant sin, and they were winking at it saying it's okay. Absolutely not. You confront him with that sin. If he's unwilling to repent and turn the other way, you tell him you can't be a part of the family of God. You can't be a part of this fellowship. Now, again, we're not saying we don't want sinners to come to church. 
And if you're doing something wrong, don't come here. It'd be empty. And there'd be no one here preaching either. Okay? What we're talking about is someone that's saying, I have this lifestyle that the scripture calls sin, but I say differently. And I want to be accepted as though I'm doing all the right things. God says, no way. Again, goes against his nature. It goes against his nature. Paul says, put him out of the church. And he tells him in that, when he's, when he's teaching them that, he tells him, he goes, I'm not saying that you shouldn't have anything to do with sinners. He goes, if you wanted to do that, you'd have to come out of the world. It's impossible. We're in the world. We're a part of the world system. But here, guys, we talked about this yesterday at our re reunion ride day. We're free. It's for freedom that Christ has made us free. We're free from sin. We're free from death. We're free from the tablets and writings of the law. And we're free from all the entrapments of this world, guys. When we are caught up in it, when we are bound up in it, when we are tied up in it, it's because we have allowed ourselves to be. But Jesus Christ has set us free. Um, what time is it? Okay, we're doing pretty good. We're doing pretty good. Um, so let's see. Let's, let's start reading our text. Deuter don't laugh. That was on purpose. All that was on purpose. Deuteronomy 4.24. Um, verse 25, when you beget children and grandchildren and have grown old in the land and act corruptly and make a carved image in the form of anything and do evil in the sight of the Lord your God to provoke him to anger, I call heaven and earth to witness against you this day that you will soon utterly perish from the land which you cross over the Jordan to possess. You will not prolong your days in it, but will be utterly destroyed." And the Lord will scatter you among the peoples, and you will be left few in number among the nations where the Lord will drive you. And there you will serve gods, the work of men's hands, wood and stone, which neither see nor hear nor eat nor smell. But from there you will seek the Lord your God, and you will find him if you seek him with all your heart and with all your soul." When you are in distress and all these things come upon you in the latter days, when you turn to the Lord your God and obey his voice, for the Lord your God is a merciful God. Remember earlier he told him, I'm a consuming fire, right? For the Lord your God is a consuming fire in verse 24, a jealous God. Now in 31, the Lord your God is a merciful God. You see, he's both at once, isn't he? He's both at once. And he is always, 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 again, and you've heard preachers say this before, no one will ever, ever, ever go to hell because God sent them there. People only will go to hell because they've rejected the free gift of salvation through Jesus Christ. It is free, it is for all, and it is available today for all who call upon the name of Jesus Christ. You don't straighten up your life, you don't do start getting things right. No, you come just as you are. Remember the old hymn? Just as I am without one plea, but that thy blood was shed for me. And that's the same altar we fall on every morning, ain't it, kids? I love it. Just as I am, you know, Gail Irwin said God looks down and goes, spend it all in one place, huh? And he dumps a fresh load of mercy and grace on us. It's awesome, the freedom that we have. He's a merciful God. He loves you. I know the thoughts that I have towards you. It's like one of the most popular verses ever now. It used to be an obscure passage. You, were really, you really knew stuff, knew the Bible. Now everyone knows it. But it's good. It's a great verse. I know the thoughts that I have towards you, says the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you, to give you a future and a hope. Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord, God of hosts. Though your sins be as scarlet, 
I'll make them white as snow. And we're like, no. And then when we don't get dessert, we're like, oh, dad's mean. Right? If you tell your kid, if you don't eat dinner, you can't have dessert. And then they don't eat their dinner because they are not going to eat their dinner. You realize this, right? I'm hopeful that he'll do that. No. He's never going to do the right thing. <laughs> and, and then you don't give him dessert. Have you been an unjust father or mother? Of course not. If they don't eat their dinner and you give them dessert, you've been an unjust parent. You've been an unjust parent, right? Um, but God rewards, uh, rewards us and he, lo- and he corrects those that he loves. So uh, where were we here? Thank you, sir. For the Lord your God is a merciful God. He will not forsake you nor destroy you, nor forget the covenant of your fathers, which he swore to them. Now, uh, <clears throat> verse 25 to 31 is talking about prophecy being fulfilled, that it's going to happen. Here's what's going to, I mean, can you imagine being the children of Israel and listening to this, this message by Moses, this prophecy? Hey, by the way, <laughs> you're going to blow it, and you're going to get booted right back out of this land. Huh? You know, I, I wonder if it just, the whole thing just seems surreal to them at that point in time. Uh, in 1 Kings chapter 8, remember, after, after Solomon has built the temple, he's built this great temple, this beautiful temple, this mighty, mighty, mighty uh, building, the likes of which has never been seen before and will never be seen again. Uh, there's all sorts of, uh, of uh, rabbinical um, legends about the temple of Solomon, that it could be seen literally the light of it on a, on a clear day or a sunny day for hundreds and hundreds of miles. Before you could see the city of Jerusalem, you could see the light of the temple. There was so much gold, there was so much brass and bronze that the place was absolutely enormous and absolutely ornate. It would be worth beyond counting today. If you take the gold and you take the jewels and you take the craftsmanship of what the temple was and the size of it and you put it in today's economy, it would be beyond the value of comprehension, okay? And now after Solomon has erected this temple, he goes through and he gives this whole prayer. He gives this great speech and he references in his speech the children of Israel being taken captive because of idolatry and brought to other countries. And he says this, that when they turn towards the land, the city, and this temple that I have built and repent, then, O oh God, hear their prayers and have mercy on him. The very next chapter, God appears to Solomon and he speaks to him and he says, you're right on the money, but let me, you, you, you got a couple of things wrong, okay? And here's what God says to him. But if he tells him, if you obey me, if you serve me, if you're diligent to serve me, if you don't put any gods before me, that means in my presence, then all the promises that I've given to you, all the promises I gave to your father David will be established. You'll never cease to have someone sitting on the throne. First Kings chapter 9, starting with verse 6. But if you were your sons at all, Turn from following me and do not keep my commandments and my statutes, which I have set before you, but go and serve other gods and worship them. Then I will cut off Israel from the land which I have given them. And this house, which I have consecrated for my name, in other words, Solomon, this ain't your house. Remember, kid, whose house this is, that I have consecrated for my name, I will cast out of my sight. Israel will be a proverb and a byword among the peoples. As for this house which is exalted, everyone who passes by it will be astonished and will hiss and say, why has the Lord done thus to the land and to this house? 
Then they will answer, because they forsook the Lord their God, who brought their fathers out of the land of Egypt, and have embraced other gods, and worshiped them, and served them. Therefore, the Lord has brought all this calamity on them. In other words, there won't be a temple, Solomon. You don't understand. You don't understand the finality of it, and the gravity of the words which I have spoken. There won't be a temple to come back to, Solomon. And in fact, when the children of Israel were taken captive, the temple of Solomon was utterly destroyed, was utterly laid waste, was completely broken down, and all of the gold and all of the jewels and all of the treasures were carried away by Nebuchadnezzar, the ones that had not already been stolen by other kings. And they went into captivity in the land of Babylon for 70 years. And when they finally were released and they came back just as God had prophesied and rebuilt the temple, it said that the old ones who remembered who remembered, who were just little children when they were taken captive and remembered Solomon's temple. They wept. They tore their robes and they wept because of the glory that had departed from Israel. Fast forward from this point in time where Moses is talking in chapter 4, fast forward some 750 years, and all that Moses prophesied has come to pass. We're in the book of Daniel, and Daniel has been captive in Babylon some 50 years, right? Some 50 years, Daniel's been, he's been in the lion's den, he's been through all of that. And now the Medo-Persian Empire has taken over, and they're running things. And this is what uh, it says in the book of Daniel, chapter 9, verses 1 and 2. In the first year of Darius, the son of uh, Ahasuerus, of the lineage of the Medes, who was made king over the realm of the Chaldeans, in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, understood by the books of the number of the years specified by the word of the Lord through Jeremiah the prophet that he would accomplish 70 years in the desolations of Jerusalem. So if you ever feel bad, I don't understand or know enough about the Bible, don't feel bad, you're in good company, okay? Because Daniel was an old man before he finally understood that prophecy by Jeremiah that they would be in the land for 70 years and why, okay? And in his prayer, Daniel says this in verses not, uh, chapter 9, verses 11 to 13, yes, all Israel has transgressed your law and has departed so as not to obey your voice. Therefore, the curse and the oath written in the law of Moses, the servant of God, that's Deuteronomy that we're reading now, have been poured out on us because we have sinned against him and he has confirmed his words. Makes you think about Revelation, doesn't it? which he spoke against us and against our judges who judged us by bringing upon us a great disaster. For under the whole heaven, such has never been done as what has been done to Jerusalem. As it is written in the law of Moses, all this disaster has come upon us. Yet we have not made our prayer before the Lord our God that we might turn from our iniquities and understand your truth. And of course, Daniel then has his visions, and eventually they would turn back to the Lord their God, and they would cry out, and they would put away the foreign gods from amongst them, and God would bring them back to the land exactly as Moses had told them, some 750 years to 800 years earlier. And we're going to continue. Verse 32, I love this part. For ask now, God speaking to the children of Israel, for ask now concerning the days that are past, which were before you. Since the day that God created man on the earth and asked from one end of heaven to the other whether any great thing like this has happened or anything like it has been heard, did any people ever hear the voice of God speaking out of the midst of the fire as you have heard and live? Or did God ever 
try to go and take for himself a nation from the midst of another nation by trials, by signs, by wonders, by war, by a mighty hand and an outstretched arm and by great terrors, according to all that the Lord your God did for you in Egypt before your eyes, to you it was shown that you might know that the Lord himself is God and there is none other besides him. You understand? Always going back to the nature of God and who he is. That he's a jealous God. And he calls upon us to worship him. Out of heaven, he let you hear his voice that he might instruct you. On earth, he showed you his great fire and you heard his words out of the midst of the fire. That would be the fire over the tabernacle and on Mount Sinai. And because he loved your fathers, therefore he chose their descendants after them. And he brought you out of Egypt with his presence with his mighty power, driving out from before you nations greater and mightier than you, to bring you in, to give you their land as an inheritance as it is this day. Therefore, know this day and consider it in your heart that the Lord himself is God in heaven above and on the earth beneath. There is no other. I think it's like a wheel. And all the spokes of the wheel lead to the center, which is God. It doesn't matter. Right? You're reading this and, you're, and it's like driven. No, there is none other. There is no other. And there is no other name given to men under heaven by which we must be saved other than Jesus. You shall, therefore, in other words, in light of what you know, in light of what you've seen, Christian, this is for us today, in light of what we know, in light of what we've seen him do in our lives, in the lives of others, in the church, in the world, you shall therefore keep his statutes and his commandments, which I command you today, that it may go well with you and with your children after you, and that you may prolong your days in the land which the Lord your God is giving you for all time. Verse 32 to 40, God makes his case. It seems to me almost incredulously, if that were possible for God, as he stands outside of the timeline of planet Earth and sees man's rebellion past, present, and future, and he would no doubt be bewildered by it if he was a man, that he would do so much for a people who would in return do so little for him. But God is not a man. He is perfect in all of his ways, and he gives us here in this scripture his only reasoning for why, for why, for why. Verse 37, and because he loved, and because he loved. That's it, guys. And we fast forward to the New Testament. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. It's all, 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 all from God. And it is all about his love for mankind. He loves us. I love that worship song. We should probably do that song. It's hard because it's Crowder and he's so talented. <laughs> but you know that song, Oh, How He Loves Us. Oh, oh, how he loves us. It's just that song, just that refrain. It's like, and you sit and you, and you meditate and you worship your God and you feel his presence and, you, you know, and his spirit communicating with your spirit. And you sing that song and you feel it and you know, oh, how he loves us. Oh, how he loves us. It's Communion Sunday. It is Communion Sunday. There is absolutely no better way to celebrate who God is, what God has accomplished, 
and what He expects from us than through the Lord's table and through the Lord's table, because this is it. This is the thing, you know, we talked about earlier that God established all of these things with Abraham, and God, and Abraham believed God, and God accredited to him his righteousness, and then he gave him circumcision, remember, right, as a sign of the covenant. Later in the New Testament under Christ, Paul is going to say, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision is anything. Again, that was all a sign. It was all a symbol. The law is put away now. It's what's happening in here. God wants your heart to be circumcised. Even in the Old Testament, when they would, they would pretend to wail and mourn before the Lord, and they would rip their garments to put on this great show of holy piety of how broken they were before God, God would say, don't rend your garments, rend your hearts. Give me your garments. Give me your false praise. I surrender all. And then we go out and surrender nothing. You know what I mean? Whew, good thing we're under grace. You know what I'm saying? Because in the Old Testament, under the law, all the Lord has commanded us, we will do. And then they didn't do it and were judged. And they're like, we don't understand. You know what I mean? Hey, we're under grace and mercy. Thank God. Thank God, right? But what he has done for us because of his love, because of his love. And here's what he asked from you. Love me. Know me. Here's what he said to the children of Israel. Search it. Look into it. From the dawn of time to this day, has there ever been a God like your God? Has there ever been a God that for no other reason other than great love has reached down from the heavens onto the earth below where there's nothing but sin and wickedness and rebellion and poured out his love on mankind and then give his only son to live as a man, to teach us the way to God, and then in repayment to be brutally beaten and tortured to death and his blood spilled out? just to establish a relationship and a covenant with us today. Wow. Abraham was given circumcision. Jesus gave you and me communion. Jesus gave you and me communion. And Jesus said this when he changed everything on that Passover. And he took the bread, and instead of passing it around as being the unleavened bread representing getting the sin out of your life, he said, no, this represents my body. You can't get the sin out of your life. <laughs> so here's my body, which is going to be broken for you. And then he passed around the wine, and he said, this is the wine of the new covenant, which is in my blood, which is shed for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And he gave it not only to his disciples, but for all the generations to come after them who would believe on the name of Jesus Christ at 2020 in COVID-19 USA. And we're, what are we going to do? Whatever shall we do? And the election and this and that. Your God is a consuming fire. And your God is a merciful God. And your God loves you. And he loves your neighbor. And he loves your coworker that you don't much care for. And he loves everyone. He loves the terrorists. God is love in a way that we can never fully understand it. And this is what he's given us to literally, through our faith, share a meal with Jesus Christ. I love that part of it. The idea that his spirit is present with us, the spirit of Jesus is present with us today, and he wants to share a meal with you. Remember Zacchaeus? Zacchaeus was a wee little man, and a wee little man was he. He climbed up in a sycamore tree for the Lord he wanted to see. All right, Chambers, Wesley, and Camp. Thank you. Thank you very much. And Jesus said, Zacchaeus, come down from that tree. One of the reasons he was up in a tree is so the mob couldn't get to him because he was a tax collector and they'd have killed him. Come down from the tree. I'm going to go to your house and break bread with you today. 
I'm going to go to your house and break bread with you today. Jesus is still looking to break bread with his people. Anybody who wants to see his face, anybody who wants to know him and have a relationship with him, and he wants to break bread with us today. So we'll have our ushers come on down. And this is a great time to beg for mercy. No, I'm kidding. This is a great time, right? Listen to me. The only thing that, and here they come, and here I go talking again. The only thing that bans you from this table is unbelief. I'm going to say that again. The only thing that bans you from this table is unbelief. If you screwed up this week and you did stupid things this week and you say, that disqualifies me from taking the Lord's table, you weren't listening at all today. You can't earn it. You can't work it up. It is a free gift. You got to do one thing. Want it. I want a relationship with you, Lord. I want to serve you with all my heart. Lord, I confess to you, I fail every day. But today, Lord, today, Lord, establish your covenant in my heart again. I want to have a meal with Jesus today. And that's all it takes, right? So I'll tell you what I do. When I sit down, I, I only half-jokingly say, beg for mercy. I sit down and I say, Lord, search me. Know my heart and see if there be in me a wicked way. And root it out and cleanse it and purify it and forgive me of my unrighteousness, Lord. And the Bible says if you confess with your mouth and believe that Jesus is Lord, he'll, 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 what's the other one? If we confess our sins to forgive us of our sins and to purify us from all unrighteousness in a moment, in an instant. Why? Because he did it 2,000 years ago. It's available for us today. All right, I mean it this, guys, this time, guys.